Hi, everyone. I'm Colby Horton. And I'm Frank Kimata. We'd like to welcome you to another episode of Engaging in the Next, an original podcast from Association Briefings where we talk about what's next for the association community when it comes to technology, Marcom strategy, people, membership, and money. Frank, it's November, which means the holiday season is upon us. Colby, is this your way of telling me that you've already put up your holiday lights? All right. So maybe a few have gone up, but you know, it's been extra busy around the Horton home recently. After 40 plus years of being fans through good times and bad, my family is finally celebrating a World Series win by our very own Texas Rangers. It's a oh dynasty in the making, Frank. Uh, you had to get that plug in. That's right. <laughs> so let's say more lights will start going up this weekend now that our schedules aren't dominated by postseason baseball. Uh, well, let's not also forget that one of the most electrifying holidays is taking place this month. And of course, I mean... See, I was afraid this was going to come up. Don't say it, Frank. Thanksgiving. So, Colby, what are you thankful for this year? I forgot about this, and I should have known better. It's time of year where you gather around your friends and family and watch San Antonio Spurs highlights, eat delicious breakfast tacos, reflect on the past, and truly enjoy the greatest gift of all, Colby, the present. So you just gave me goosebumps in a way you probably didn't intend. There's one thing that you mentioned that I would love to take part in, and, and that's bringing together a community. And I think more than ever, that's what we're trying to do every day in both the association and the corporate spaces. I mean, every company or association is a community, and each has its own culture. And today, those company cultures should have a driving element of inclusivity, where everyone has a voice at the table and have a true sense of belonging. And that's what our guest today is so good at, putting together a people-first culture where inclusivity matters. So Frank, who's on the show today? Today we're joined by Cameron Curtis, who is the founder and chief innovator of C2 Association Strategies and has more than 22 years of association management experience. Prior to founding C2, Cameron served as president and CEO of the Association of Air Medical Services and Medivac Foundation International. Welcome to the podcast, Cameron. Hi, so nice to be here. Thank you for having me. We're glad you're here. We have a lot to talk about. This is a topic that interests us a lot, something we haven't really touched on. So we're excited to, to move forward with it. But before we get into really the meat of the conversation, we'd love to just hear a little bit about your career journey in the association space. What got you to where you are today? Yes, it's really funny because I studied music at college. So I have a bachelor's in vocal performance, opera and musical theater, which, you know, is really good for getting you ready for association management. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's funny because actually music theory, there's a, it's really a lot of math. I was terrible at math when I was younger. And now I'm like super geeky about financial statements. And I think it's because of the music theory. My elementary school math teachers would be so proud as well as my dad. Uh, so I studied music. I grew up in Southern Virginia, down near Yorktown. My dad was retired military. I got married and moved to DC and had to get a job. I nannied for a year for two different families. And then I got a job working at the Phi Beta Kappa Society as an executive assistant. And that was my first entry into the nonprofit management space. I was there for eight years. So I worked my way up from executive assistant to director of society affairs and alumni relations. It was a small staff, so jack of all trades. I learned a lot. And at one point, I decided that it was time to move on. I had my son. He was a little bit older. 
And I really wanted to focus on meetings and events. So I went to the Association of Aeromedical Services where I was in their meeting department. That's a huge organization. Again, really good learning opportunity, built a lot of really strong relationships, and then left and went to Courtesy Associates, which is a subsidiary of Smith Buckland. Again, doing meetings. I got to do some really cool meetings in Ethiopia and Mozambique for the U.S. Departments of Defense and Department of State, which was really not something that everybody gets the opportunity to do. And then I was presented with the opportunity to become an executive director of a healthcare association that had come into courtesy at the time or continue doing international meetings. And the choice in my head was really easy. I wanted to go down the executive director path. I did have a little bit of, but I really want to travel internationally. But I had to talk myself into, if you become the executive director, you can travel for fun instead of for work. So there's better career opportunity there. I had Texas speech language hearing, and then we moved them out of Courtesy Associates, which was really focused on meetings and events, into the Smith Buckland Healthcare and Scientific Practice. And I was there for eight years. So I ran the Texas Speech Language Hearing Association. I helped launch the Society of Interventional Oncology out of a meeting that was related to interventional oncology. I ran the Association for Clinical and Translational Science the Association for Meeting Professionals. And then I left Smith Buckland and took a standalone job as CEO for the Association of Air Medical Services and was there until June of 2022, when actually my contract was terminated early by the board, which gave me the opportunity to start my own company, C2 Association Strategies. And it's been a little over a year. I just hired three additional full-time people. So that makes a total of six. I've got some part-time contractors too, but we're growing very quickly. And it's been really an interesting, circuitous journey, but really fun. A lot of opportunity to learn, build a lot of relationships. And sometimes I miss the singing, but I really love what I do. So I'm lucky that I started off on one path early in life and, and ended up where I am now. That's awesome. And, and to hear the growth of your company within the, the 12 months that's pretty remarkable as well. Pulling the curtain back, we had a discussion prior to actually hitting record here. And it appears that the business that you're creating, the organization you're creating, you're really prioritizing a people first mindset. How does this approach contribute to the long-term success and sustainability of your company? So we are all people first, right? And employees second. And I think that people in leadership positions forget that because you think about the company first. And, and as a business owner, right, I have to think about the company because if the company doesn't, it grows, then obviously the people can grow along with it. But if you don't put the people first and you put the business first, that's how you burn people out. That's how you have turnover. That's how you build frustration, which then ultimately impacts the bottom line of your business. So if you really focus on supporting the people who work for you and work with you. And not just from an internal perspective, right? Not just the people who work directly for C2, but working with vendors, working with our clients, their members, really putting that people first motto into everything that we do. You are more successful that way. Yeah. And let's be clear that philosophy certainly works in a corporate world but certainly works very well within the association or nonprofit space as well. So I think that's 
that does you good as a whole working within this industry to have that mindset. And really, it should work better in a nonprofit space, right? Because we're all here because we're passionate about the missions of the organizations that we're working for. Whereas a lot of times corporations are very revenue driven. So you can almost understand why it's sometimes harder for them to do the people first because they have shareholders or whatever. And so they that bottom line is incredibly important. But yeah, so it should be pretty easy in the nonprofit space to really put people first. And again, not just the people who are working for the organizations, but the board and the committees and the other volunteers and the members and the corporate sponsors who support the nonprofits, right? They're all doing it because they're passionate about that mission and vision. And so really, again, people first, you will be more successful if you make that your primary focus. And Cameron, what are some key strategies that a business can adopt to create a more inclusive and diverse work environment? Yes. Yeah, so it's interesting because I've done a couple of talks about maximizing the engagement in the hybrid work environment because after COVID, a lot of people moved back home to be closer to their families. We certainly at C2 have a remote work environment. We have a small office, but for the most part, we're all remote and in different states now, which is exciting. But you have to be very thoughtful about how you create that inclusive space because we're not together. And relationship building in the past has been based on being in face-to-face situations, right? And I think part of it is you really need to know your people, right? Know what's important to them, have those conversations, but then really working together as teams, whether it's if you're a small organization, working together as a whole team, Versus if you're a larger association, working together, having your smaller units or teams work together. But it's got to be a trickle-down effect where it has to be really be supported from the top down. Because if it's not, it won't work. For example, having the team or the small staff get together and create a team charter, communication guidelines, right? Like rules that we all agree to in terms of how we're going to best support each other. Having regular conversations. I do think sometimes in person is really important because it still is very difficult. And I think we all learned this during COVID. It is challenging to build those relationships when you're not sitting and having a meal with somebody and just talking about yourself personally. And again, you've got to get to know the people who they really are, not just what they bring to the work that they're doing. So those are a couple ideas. But again, it's going back to really understanding each individual, not just what they bring to the table, but what's important to them. And going back to something you said within that question, it does start from the top, right? So how can leaders actively promote and prioritize inclusivity in their company culture? And maybe talk about some of the the common pitfalls that they should be aware of. It's really interesting because I think leaders who have been at organizations for a really long time sometimes lose sight of that inclusivity piece. And really, you need to create an environment where everybody has the opportunity to provide feedback to each other. I certainly tell my team that if there's something that I'm doing that makes it feel like we are, we do not have an inclusive environment, I want them to tell me. And I've always been one to speak up and say, this does not feel right. I think that you have to set the example. So one of the ways that you do that from a leadership position, again, regardless of what size organization you're in, is communication and transparency, right? I always say that at the point at which you feel like you're communicating too much, it still is not enough. 
And what you're communicating, do people actually understand? And is it clear and transparent? And I think leaders often, because we're all very busy, I think we're all doing more, right? Because we have the time, we're working in remote environments where it's easy to walk across the hall to your remote office or, or whatever and work from early in the morning until late at night, just trying to do more, get more done, be more for our members. And it's really setting aside that time, whether it's putting it on your calendar and saying, hey, this is time where we need to get together as an executive leadership team to make sure that we are being inclusive. I think it's really important to have sort of a DEI commitment and write it down and push it out there and make sure all of your people know it and talk about it all the time. We have a people first DEI commitment. It's on our website. We put it in our new client proposals. It's really, you have to build it into everything that you do. And it has to be something that becomes second nature because if it's something that you feel like you have to force, it will eventually fall by the wayside. But then also creating that accountability within the organization from your leadership team up to the CEO. If I, as the CEO, am not meeting that commitment, it's on them to remind me and vice versa. And I think that goes from the bottom up. If you feel like we are not creating that inclusive environment, we want you to tell us because it's important. And I think one thing too, that the senior leadership and CEOs forget or some don't realize it's that cliche, if you build it, they will come. If you create that inclusive environment and you make it second nature, you will reduce turnover. You will attract the very best talent. People will work harder and longer for you and with you because you've created this environment of trust and communication and support. And your bottom line will be positively impacted your company will do better. And there's data out there that, that shows that actually happens. There's a lot of key points that you put out there. And I think the importance of making sure that all voices are, are heard and valued is an extremely important part of this inclusivity plan, this DEI initiative that we're all focused on so much right now. But I want to expand a little bit on what you just said as well. I think within the association world, there's a lot of moving parts. There's a lot of players what are some steps that associations can take to ensure that their board, their staff, their members reflect the values of inclusivity? And how can they actively promote diversity at each of these levels within the organization? Yeah, somebody did a study that I read recently that one in five CEOs think that DEI is a trend. To me, that's frightening. Right? That is really frightening because it's not a trend. And if you think it's a trend, then you're probably going to drive your organization into the ground. I think when we're talking about diversity, equity, and inclusion, and belonging, you have to, in the nonprofit space, your board really needs to be on board with that too. You can build it internally as a CEO. You are responsible for your staff team. You are the staff leader. You're the chief staff executive. And so you can certainly build it internally. If you aren't also helping to build it externally within the organization, it will ultimately have a negative impact internally on the people. And so it is really working with your board and your volunteers and your members. Sometimes there are some industries, right, where they, again, they're like, oh, DEI is just a trend. We don't have to worry about that. Oh, it's not a big deal. But helping them understand why it's a big deal it's about creating an environment where people feel comfortable and safe to be their authentic selves. 
right? It's about that. And I think a lot of people talk about authenticity and how important it is. You have to walk the walk and talk the talk. And you need to get your boards to understand how important that is. And there are a lot of organizations out there that are like towing the line and and really understand the importance of DEI. And then there are some surprising organizations that aren't. I was surprised by an organization in the healthcare space where, you know, they take an oath, right, to do no harm and to help people. And they really pushed back when I was saying DEI is important. This is something that we need to be focused on. Because although it may not be a big topic of conversation right now in the profession, in the industry, it is certainly coming. And if we don't start preparing now, we won't be ready. Our members won't be ready. It's our job as association professionals to help our members and our board and everybody, the constituents and the stakeholders that we serve be ready for whatever's coming next. Now, nobody has a crystal ball, right? Nobody, like, we couldn't predict COVID, right? I wish we could have, but it's our job to really help them think strategically. And I think with DEI, it really needs to be a part of everything that every organization is doing, whether you're for-profit, not-for-profit, whatever. It should be ingrained in everything that we're doing because again, it's about creating space for authenticity And that in turn has a positive impact on the organization, right? On the members, like the value proposition for the members, the volunteer experience, the member experience, right? It's all wrapped up and it's all about, again, being people first. Like the members are and the the volunteers are there because they're passionate about their industry. It's just, I'm a member of ASAE and it's about, I give back because it's important to me to help my profession. And you have to have DEI in mind when you're doing that now. Cameron, how can associations navigate potential challenges or resistance from stakeholders who may not fully understand the importance of inclusivity? And what strategies can they use to build consensus and foster a more inclusive environment? Yes. Frank, you and I have known each other for a while. And Colby, we've talked a couple of times. I don't think anybody would ever call me shy or unwilling to stand up for myself or for what I believe in. And and so I think it can be very risky depending upon what industry you're in. But I think that it is on us if it's something that you feel is important to stand up. And really, sometimes we have to push. I think there are ways that you can push thoughtfully, but sometimes that pushing has to get a little more assertive. But it's bringing data looking at other industries who have succeeded because they really embrace DEI, bringing that to the leadership team, taking that to the board, showing it to the members, using real life examples, right? I've had to do that where I've had to say, look, there was a company that had a trans man who was transitioning to a woman. And this company had to figure out it was, they had never encountered this before and they had to figure out how best to deal with it. Like, how do we maneuver through this? Because there are lots of things that you have to consider. How will the other employees react? What do you do with human resources, right? All of there, there are lots of things that go into something to support that person so they can be their authentic selves. And so using that to say to our leadership and our members, this is happening here. And they're having a hard time with it. Imagine if we could learn from that experience and create tools to support the next company who has to do that. 
who encounters that. Well, it's a challenge because it's something new, right? Every every time something is new, it can be a challenge. How do we help them better prepare so that they can create that safe, authentic space for the people who work there? So I think that's the biggest thing is really using real life examples and pushing because it it is important. I don't care what profession you're in. It is very important to embrace diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging because, again, your bottom line will be impacted either positively or negatively depending upon what decision you decide, which direction you decide to go in. So, Cameron, when we initially talked during our pre-show, you talked about the way you select potential clients to bring into your organization. Can you talk a little bit about your approach there and who are the ideal clients that you're bringing in? Yes. We are very thoughtful about the clients that we submit proposals for. We do a lot of research, almost to the point where we understand as much as possible about a potential client. It's worth the time spent. I mean, we spend hours and sometimes days on researching the potential clients, looking at their mission, their vision, looking what they've done in the past, looking at their membership, what their membership is made up of, what the profession is the industries that it supports, all of that, because it's very important to me to work with organizations who are aligned with my core values, because obviously it makes our jobs easier, right? To have an organization that does not think that diversity, equity, and inclusion is important. I don't know that I want to spend my time having to push a round peg into a square hole, right? So if we are already aligned in the beginning, and and maybe it's not completely aligned, but I see a path forward with them where they're working towards being more inclusive with their membership and their board of directors, then it's worth the extra work to help them get there. It's Again, it goes back to members who are very passionate about the organizations that they're members of. They're doing that and they're passionate because of the mission and vision. That's what drives them. And for me personally in my business and and for my team, our client missions and their visions drive us just as much as they drive the members. If we're not passionate about what it is they're doing and we don't see and understand the impact that they make either to the profession or to the broader community, then it makes it more difficult for us to do our work. It's about doing work that is fun and fulfilling. And I think that fulfilling piece is really important. I think especially in the association management company type space where you might be working on one organization that does one thing and another organization that does something completely different. And so I think it's important to find some connection with those organizations. I sometimes say that it's, you have to have multiple personalities, right? You have to be one person for this organization and these volunteers work very differently. And then another personality for this other organization where those volunteers work very differently and their members are different and their needs are different. And for me, that's really fun and exciting because I, you never get bored, right? Because you never know what's coming at you. But so I think that That's what's really important is feeling like you are connected to the mission and vision of the organizations that we're serving because it it makes it easier for you to do your work. Love that. And and Cameron, we want to thank you for being a part of today's discussion, but don't go anywhere just yet. I want to put you in the hot seat one last time for the final segment we like to call the Briefings Minute. 
we're going to fire off a series of questions just to learn a little bit more about you. So just please give us the first answer that comes to mind. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right, here we go. As someone who studied music, who is one of the most impressive current vocalists today? And have you dabbled in their music for karaoke purposes? <laughs> I would say pink. And I hate karaoke. <laughs> Same. <laughs> so we, we don't get a, a pink rendition here. So that's slightly disappointing, but we'll move on. That's okay. Give me a couple cocktails. <laughs> Keep it to that. <laughs> so Cameron, with an 18-year-old son, are there new terms you've learned as of late that you can enlighten us with? Oh, boy. I never in my life thought I'd be called bruh. Bruh. Also, he says things where I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about. I wish I could think of one right now, but also the text messages, everything is always three letters. And I'm like, I have no idea what that means. I need you to speak real words to me is what I say. I share your pain there as well with an 18 year old daughter. Now I've seen you around in DC for afternoon tea, but what are some of your favorite brunch spots in DC? Oh, La Diplomat is my favorite brunch spot, and they have the best omelet. They have an amazing lobster omelet, but just their plain omelet, it is fantastic. Great cocktails. Plus, there's good after brunch places to go afterwards. So by no means are we asking you to pick your favorite dog of all times, but what's one of the best dog names you've heard of? We had a dog named Nigel. Sounds charming. Yes. And my husband wanted to name our son Nigel, so we promptly got a dog, and I named the dog Nigel. <laughs> now, we know you're a big fan of travel, so if you were able to go on a two-week trip without worrying about work at all, where would you go? Uh, I would go to Italy. I lived there when I was really little, and I've been dying to go back, and I'm actually thinking about planning a trip next year Ooh. for my 50th birthday. So it's early November right now. What's your opinion on when holiday decorations should go up? Oh, gosh. I Ideally, they shouldn't go up until after Thanksgiving. But also, I think they should come down at least by January 1st, if not just after. But I'm notoriously putting them up late. And then it's like February. And I'm like, oh, gosh, I can keep these things down. <laughs> just put a couple Valentines on it. You're good. <laughs> correct. Correct. Cameron, that's the buzzer. Thanks again for joining us today. Thank you all for having me. This was really fun. It was really good getting to talk to you and getting to know you both a little bit better and looking forward to, to talking to you more. Yeah, absolutely. We really enjoyed the conversation. And thanks to everyone for listening to this episode of Engaging in the Next. Join us each month as we discuss trends that impact what's next in the association world. And be sure to subscribe to our podcasts on Apple, Google, Spotify, wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And if you'd like more information about association briefings and how we can help you produce a podcast or unique data-driven newsletter for your association, be sure to visit us online at associationbriefings.com. See you next time.